0: sociopolitical issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You
1: Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Well, hello and welcome to episode 103 of You Don't Have to Yell, the second to last episode in the long but never boring season one. Now, you may be wondering why we're not starting with the standard intro music, as that usually is the precursor to a very special episode. And this is a very special episode indeed, as we're taking a trip back to France. Yes, to the Champs-Élysées, the Louvre, and their famous fries where a guest you might remember from our November 5th episode was born. Yes, my favorite Trump-loving Frenchman, Pierre Dumaga, is back to give his perspective on all that's happened since the election and on the nature of American political dialogue in general. And like my first episode with Pierre, this was also one of my favorite to record as I learned a few things about how we argue in this country or better put how we don't anymore now if you like this episode please share it with your friends neighbors and enemies give it a review and you can subscribe at no cost by pushing yes subscribe i will be back at the end with my final thoughts you and i spoke Almost a year ago, it was actually, it was, it was the last episode I did before the election. I think it was November of, uh, November of 2020, you and I spoke. And for those of you who haven't heard this episode, uh, what are we going to call you? Anyway, I called you Pierre.
0: We should stick with Pierre.
1: Pierre Dumaga.
0: I mean, I, I am using, I am using that, uh, in some other ventures now. So oh
1: really? Um. Pierre <laughs> Is it Pierre Dumaga or is it?
0: Uh, just, just, or it don't, just don't Google that is all I'm going to say. Anybody out there. Oh, um, baby. Oh, but, um,
1: you know, uh, y- we're all going to Google it now.
0: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just messing with you. There's nothing. Hey, by oh. the way, if there is a Pierre Dumaga out there, I have nothing to do with that individual.
1: All right. Good uh, enough. Good <laughs> enough. Your, your, his opinions are all his own. Uh, <laughs> how did you like the music at the beginning of our episode, by the way? I loved it. Oh, you did? I was like, he- Put me right in the mood. He was going to kill me. Yeah. So at any rate, if you haven't heard it, listen to it. I'll give the synopsis, which is um, Pierre and I, and I'm going to try to do my, you know, I'm just going to do the Americanized Pierre because if I if I try to do the French R, it's just very difficult for me. Pierre has been, uh, spent the first part of his life in France, um, Mm -hmm. then moved here to the United States. And what I found most interesting about you and and why I wanted you on the show last time was that you were a huge, huge fan of Trump. You were full-on MAGA. Mm-hmm. And I think when your average American thinks, okay, guy who moved here from France, he's probably a socialist, you know, it's not like like for the for the American, like it it does not comport well with American stereotypes. So you and I had a really nice long conversation about your your sort of political journey and how you found Trump and how you ultimately, uh, earned the name PS Dumaga. And, uh, and <laughs> so, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to bring you back number one, cause I really enjoyed the conversation and, uh, and, and number two, cause a lot has happened since then. And the, yeah, when we signed off, you know, one of the last things we, we both said to each other before the end of the last episode was both of us really hoped that, the election was decisively won, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. both of us were were very very hopeful that whoever won won decisively. And so mm-hmm. that's where I want to start this off. What do you think happened? Was it a decisive win?
0: Well, before I answer, just want to thank you again, Dave, for having me on. Um, mm-hmm. It was a pleasure to to chat last time, and um, when you asked me to come on this time, I jumped at the jumped at the chance. Um, it's it really enjoyable. To be able to spend some time with, um, you know, people who don't agree with, but who are open-minded and want to hear a different perspective, uh, judgment-free, so to speak. Yeah. And so I, I just want to say right off the bat that I really appreciate this forum. And um, again, I, I will I will always take you up on an offer to come chat about these kinds of things. Nice. Um. So uh, just want to make sure that's that's out there. Um. As far as your as your question in terms of what happened in the decisiveness or not of the election. I think it is similar to what happened before in a sense that, you know, the divide in the country obviously uh, hasn't hasn't stopped. Um, and I, I'm not sure who was the first person to use this sort of uh, metaphor, but the idea that we're watching different movies. I don't know if you've heard that expression
1: before. No, but I totally I, I totally get what you're saying. Go, go on.
0: Right. And for those of you who haven't heard that, you may see this in different political circles. And obviously, I see it more often on the right wing, but I'm sure the left either use it themselves or, uh, or other variations of it. But the idea being that, like, we are all exposed to the same facts, to the same reality, and yet our interpretation of that reality is so different that we might as well be watching different movies.
1: Yeah. You know, I totally agree with that.
0: <laughs> so um, to, to that, so I guess what I will say in terms of your your question is like, you know, Americans were watching different movies before the election
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they're still watching different movies now. Yeah. And there are certain things which are fact. And, you know, I mean, Biden is the is the president. Um, there are certain things that people, you know, have, have come to accept the majority. But for the, I feel like the divide hasn't hasn't dissipated, in, and we're still watching wildly different movies. Yeah, I, I
1: would I would agree with that without a doubt, and and definitely it's it's funny to have emerged from the Trump years and watched how how apprehensive or how how angst ridden and anxiety ridden folks who didn't vote support Trump were. You know, and and seeing that anxiety move to the other side now. And and I I don't know if it's to the same degree, because I think the one difference between Biden and Trump is that with Biden, you can actually go about your day and not think about the president. You know, or as Trump was just so good at sucking the oxygen out of the room. And I don't know if you disagree with that or not.
0: I, I don't I don't disagree. I, I will say, though, it is a reciprocal thing in which the media also wanted to keep Trump in the news as much as possible. Oh, for so sure. You're, you're almost had a situation where you have a guy who is naturally inclined to seek attention, to make news of himself constantly, oftentimes to his own detriment, right? Because being in the news is the most important thing. But you also had a media who, you know, not only... Wanted to do that, but profited from it, you know, enormously. Uh, and now I, I just saw—I th- I think it was last week—I um, think it was the Atlantic um, that's now in, just in deep trouble financially um, because the stories they're able to run now are just not all based around Trump. So I don't disagree with you. I do think, though, it takes two to tango in that particular.
1: Oh, uh, without without a doubt. And and even today, uh, the Atlantic ran a story about the P tape, and it was just like, like, can we can we just stop? Can we like I I just. He's not president. He's not president anymore. Like at least wait until he announces he's going to run again. Um, So what did you think? So the election, you know, there there was that period of time where we didn't know who the president was, Mm -hmm. where the votes were still being counted, which I think is fine. I personally think it is healthy for democracy if we all Mm -hmm. wait until the final count. Um, And so I would imagine over that period of time, you know, I won't speculate where your head was, but obviously everybody's thinking their, their candidate can win Mm -hmm. at that point in time. Mm -hmm. When, when the networks called the race for Biden, what were you thinking at that point?
0: I was thinking that, I mean, I I think in the, in the lead up to that, well, I I would say the first thing was I wasn't surprised Mm -hmm. um, that it turned out the way it did. Um, I do think there was there was just a lot of confusion and uncertainty, and I think the process by which things eventually sort of settled um, made a lot of people still have a lot of questions. Yeah. Um. About about what really what really happened. Um, so I, I guess to simplify that, like, um, I, I think people were not surprised. But I think that there was a general sense that you know this was not not everything was above board mm-hmm. in the way sort of the final outcome came came to be.
1: Yeah. What do you think were the things that weren't above board? Like you personally, obviously everybody's got yep. their own theory, but what what do you think?
0: <clears throat> so, I um I guess I'll, I'll I'll discuss this in the context of a um, recent investigation that happened in Arizona. Mm. I don't know if you have followed the Maricopa County. Uh, uh, election audit. Yeah, uh, that's been going on. So it's been going on for the past, uh, past few months, and uh, the the organization. So the short story is that uh, the Republicans, the state Republicans in Arizona asked for an audit of the of the election, specifically Maricopa County, um, because I believe, and obviously people can feel free to look that up, I might be wrong on total, but I believe that eventually it came down to about 10,000 votes difference between Biden and Trump. I could be wrong about the exact numbers, but I think it's a small margin, basically. Yeah. Um, and so they did an audit of kind of what went down with the Dominion machines and a bunch of other issues related to, to the election. And the results came out last week. I believe it was Thursday of last week was when they finally came up to the state Republicans um, and, and basically gave, gave their findings. I recommend anybody here who has an interest in this to, to listen to it. Uh, with a, with an open mind because i think it's not about um i mean again if your mind is said that like this election was super secure nothing went wrong um fraud is impossible if that is sort of like your um you know your sort of assumption then you know i think you you know you're not going to believe any kind of evidence that's that's put forth however if you are open minded and you want to hear what what has you know what people found i think it's a very good um it's a very good, uh, a very good listen, um, and the video is available online. I'm sure you can do like Maricopa County um, audit results, something you can find there, find the video. Um, but the the basic gist of it, and I think this is where I want to kind of go back to, you know, my thoughts on this. But they basically came, you know, their findings was there are about seventy two thousand ballots, which for one reason or another, we're unable to um, to prove that they're completely legitimate. Now. You know it, that can take a bunch of different shapes. It could be, you know, people who voted who shouldn't have voted. It could be people who voted late and yet it was counted. It could be there's a whole bunch of reasons, and that's seventy two thousand, right? So uh, it's not one thing. It's many, 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 but even rules. Uh, and they're just saying we ask, you know, we we asked uh, the part the powers that be certain information. They weren't able to provide it to us um, time and again. And so again, there are seventy two thousand ballots which were unable to to tell you know, 100% exactly if they're valid or not. And until they get some of that information from from the, the parties in question, um, there's going to be a question mark around those those ballots. Yeah. Now, you might hear that number and say, why are you saying that 72,000 ballots should have gone to Trump and went to Biden? No, I'm not saying that at all. Um, what I am saying is that, you know, who knows? You know, you could look at all the ba- the ballots and and get to the bottom of it. And at the, end, at the end of the day, it becomes actually more votes for Biden. That's possible. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying that that's not possible, but there are enough irregularities. And I think a lot of that stemmed from obviously COVID and the pandemic and the way that some of the rules were, were loosened in order to make people allow people to vote uh, during a difficult time. So, again, I'm not saying that the measure, measures were taken were intentionally. Um, you know, sort of uh, tampered with to give anybody an edge. What I am saying, there are questions about the legitimacy of votes uh, and of ballots, and um, and until and, and and until these are fully resolved, mm-hmm. uh, people are there are going to have questions. Now, again, the super MAGA crowd is going to be like, well, you know, that means Trump won, right? <laughs> Arizona. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm like. I said. We, we could look into it and years from now realize that actually Biden won for even, by even bigger margin than we thought. Mm-hmm. That is definitely possible. All I'm saying is that there is enough questions. Um, and again, I think a lot of it is just the context of the pandemic that makes people uneasy about what, 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 what happened.
1: I mean, it sounds to me like you're not like full on, you know, Trump won, it was fraud. No. But you're saying there are some irregularities, and there are some le- legitimate causes for unease with the results. Yeah,
0: correct. And and if anything, I'll put it this way. In the follow-up to Trump's election, we spent about four years with half the country saying the election was stolen, the Russians hacked in, um, this and that happened, he won illegitimately. And that was fine. Networks ran with it. Uh, major newspapers ran with that story um, and, and and all that. What's interesting here is that we've gone from Trump, you know Trump stole the election, the Russians helped him, to a situation where now even, you know, bringing up the question of fraud in the 2020 election, it's like that's out of the question. Like you are a dissident, you are uh, trying to start a civil war. you're trying to undermine the entire uh, republic. And I think that's what's more interesting to me is that for four years, it was totally okay to say he cheated, he cheated, he cheated. And now the mere, um, you know, sort of bringing up of anything, even if you want to be rational and objective about it and not bringing emotions, you're basically automatically called a kook and, you know, QAnon and all the rest of it. That's the part that's interesting to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, and, and I, you know, again, anybody who's listened to this and, and you and I know that I wasn't a fan of, of Trump. Uh, but, you know, and, and during when he initially won, I think I signed some petition or or I can't remember what it was. I think I contributed a little to I think it was Jill Stein who was running a recount in the closely contested states. And, yeah, there was there was definitely a certain amount of there were some, there were some similarities, let's say, um, I, I think the, the key difference. And this is another thing I wanted your opinion on. Is that you know? Twenty sixteen, and to the best of my knowledge, Clinton didn't promote the idea that the election was fraudulent. Or if she did, she didn't do it as forcefully as Trump did. Because Trump, I mean, even in the run up to twenty sixteen, Trump was saying if he loses, he's he's it, it's because he was cheated. But even this time around, you know, we had not only was he saying the election was fraudulent, he was. Calling up secretaries of state, he was inviting state legislators over to the White House. He was, you know, there were lawsuits running. Uh, You had Giuliani, uh, (laughs) you know, flying everywhere, uh, contesting elections in in a few select states. So there was there was a more there was a more aggressive effort, I think, on the part of the candidate and the candidate's uh, proxies to really raise questions and really gin up that idea. What, what, were you, what did you feel about all that?
0: Well, I will say, if you talk to Al Gore today, he'll tell you he, he still won the election in, in 2000. Um, so um, as far as Hillary, I have definitely heard her say, I think she's more diplomatic. Um, she's a much more smooth operator than Trump is. Obviously, she's a lifetime politician. Um, he, on the other hand, not so much. Um, but again, I think there is also the difference that Trump has been up against a deep state. Um, basically, that was sort of his whole thing, right? To go after the deep state, to go after, uh, you know, the swamp of Washington. And so um, I wasn't too surprised that he put up the fact that he did. But again, I feel like in hindsight, you know, he walked away when when he was supposed to. Um, and, and again, I, I remember reading articles and articles that, he was going to stay in power, that we should get ready for a coup, that all of that. And yeah, he called, you know, he made noise, unquestionably, he made noise um, for, I I think, a lot of, you know, for a lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, he he also just, you know, Biden's president today.
1: Um, So, well, I think that was that was the most interesting thing, I think, about the Trump presidency. And this is something I don't know if I'll get anybody to agree with me on this one. Because it runs against, I think, both the 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 orthodoxies of the left and the right. Um, but I, I think Trump, you know, as a Trump detractor myself, right? I think he was an incredible stress test of the American system, mm. and because the country was designed, so if someone who was more demagogic, if someone with less of a respect for Ah, uh, the system ever got elected. If somebody with autocratic te- tendencies ever got elected, that the system would be able to prevent that from happening. And if you're a Trump detractor, you know you generally believe that Trump is somebody with autocratic tendencies who doesn't have a ton of respect for the rule of law. And in a lot of ways, the funniest thing about that was Trump detractors are also probably the biggest detractors of federalism you know, the biggest detractors of the idea of state sovereignty. And the odd thing is that it was actually state sovereignty, I think in a lot of ways that kept Trump from doing everything he wanted to do. You know, it was, I mean, you had the, the Muslim ban was a, or, or the travel ban, however you want to call it. It was case in point right there. I mean, that would have gone into effect if we were a parliamentary system, but it was the fact that the states are sovereign that kept that from happening. So, you know, in my mind, the fact that, in this case, one of the most contested, or, or how do I put this, in an election with so much heat to it, you know, the fact that things came out as they did is still, I think, pretty impressive. Um, you said something interesting too, and and this is something you said on the last episode, and we didn't have time to get into it, but you you talked about the deep state. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in in your thoughts there. Cause we didn't, we didn't have time to explore it last time. And I'm interested in, in how you feel kind of the government subverted the will of Trump and, and what role you feel they played.
0: Yeah. So this is a, a really interesting thing for me because, you know, uh, and this is something we, d- we touched on last time as well. Myself as a Republican during the, the Bush years and myself from now, th- there's a huge shift in how I've come to see the government. Um, What's interesting about the deep state to me is so. What do we talk about the deep state? What, what do I mean when I talk about the deep state? What I mean is we're, I'm talking about sort of the the large administrative government that exists really around Washington, and that includes various agencies, uh, including you know the CIA, the FBI, the NSA. Um, we can even throw in the military industrial complex in here, just general the Pentagon. Um, and other groups uh, that are basically really centered around D.C. And that what we have noticed, uh, what I've noticed, and others, so much we have noticed over the years, is sort of a this idea that they're sort of coalescing in terms of having a very similar ideology. And um, and they push the same uh, platform. And it seems like they're almost like a, a shadow government within Uh, the U.S. government that really doesn't have a lot of oversight and can do whatever they want to do. Now, for the longest time, what I've just said, that was the belief of the left. And I am a huge movie buff. If you look at the movies and the culture of the 60s and the 70s, man, every other movie was about how the FBI is corrupt, how the CIA is corrupt, how the American industrial complex is sending us to wars that we shouldn't be fighting. and. And What I found interesting is that it seems that people on the right now, because um, when you ask me what is the deep state, well, it's really kind of this paranoia of the government, which existed during the 1970s, especially post Watergate. That is kind of what we mean by the deep state. Um, that people and and in more recent terms, in more recent days uh, or recent years, you've had uh, Snowden, and you've had Assange. You've had some of the situations happening with them. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of what we mean when we talk about the deep state.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's funny. One of the first episodes I ever recorded of this, somebody brought that up, saying, "Remember when the left were the ones who were scared of this, you know, shadow government right. pulling the strings?" And and now it's the dominion of the right. Um, and it's interesting. The episode that just came out. So the, the last week's episode, um, I, I I I talked to the guy who. You know, really talked about how you know the role of of moderates in the government is to keep the partisan base from having their way. Effectively, mm-hmm. you know, the reason that people like Joe Manchin and 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 Cinema and uh, and you know before Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, mm-hmm. the role they play is really making sure that they can be foils for what the partisan base wants, because that's ultimately not what the government wants. So that's not what most in government want. And so it's really just allowing, you know, AOC and Josh Hawley and whoever else to have their political theater and to be able to score points with the base while also knowing that these, this agenda never has a chance of getting passed. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say, you know, the big difference between Trump and everybody else who got elected is, you know, Trump actually got in office and tried to do what he said he was going to do. Which was, I found hysterical because uh, that's, I, I remember talking to my dad and he said, oh, he's never going to do those things. And I was like, why are you trying to? What things uh, are we talking about, though? Well, so great. I mean, the, like the border wall or uh, the travel ban to Muslim countries or, I mean, those are the two big ones that I remember hearing. He's never going to do those things. And of course, he got in and that's like the first thing he went after right
0: although i mean in, in the case of the wall he, he didn't get that far and he could have gone much further i mean he he had i mean he could have just said i'm gonna build it myself and 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 screw everybody else yeah. um you could have, i mean a lot of people like to portray trump at this autocratic sort of mussolini type figure if mussolini was in power that wall would have been built and by the way he wouldn't have retired on you know the election when when it was his time to go um to me, it's apples and oranges. We're not even—we're not even talking about um, the same thing at all. Um, and people have, you know, if you look at the history of Europe, um, <laughs> real dictators, uh, you know, they get stuff done, uh, and in democracy, be damned. Yeah, um, that—that wasn't Trump.
1: Then, of course, you know, we had the riot at the Capitol. What were you thinking during, and and what do you think now? I, I like everybody. Um,
0: we all it was scary, right? It was it was a pretty scary uh demonstration. Um and it looked like things could go sideways very quickly. And I definitely remembered and I'm gonna be vulnerable here, but I definitely remembered like, wow, like you know, this um you know, if a bunch of if if, if they start like attacking, you know, uh Congress people and it becomes a bloodbath in there, I mean, I I, I thought we, we could have been we were wat- we we're witnessing history, mm. and I think you would have put the entire uh, MAGA movement. And even if even if the, you know you say, well, just a couple of extremists went went nuts, there's no question that had the scene become truly bloody, it, it would have put a, I mean, it would have basically said, you know, it would have essentially ended the entire MAGA thing, and um, and I think it would have been difficult for us those of us who supported Trump uh, to, to to deal with that.
1: folks, that's the number of people in America who don't identify with either major party, bigger than either of them in terms of voters. 60% is the number of Americans who feel another major party is needed. Both are a signal something's wrong, and both are a signal Americans are looking for something more, and that is why you listen to You Don't Have to Yell. Now, nothing's going to change until we open up the two-party system to real political competition. And in the right numbers, we can make this happen. So here are two ways you can help. Number one, if you dig the content on YDHTY and you know someone else who would, please share this show with them. The goal of YDHTY is not just to push for electoral reform, but to get the center back into the conversation, and this podcast grows by word of mouth. Number two, if you want to take action in your state, visit rankthevote.us. It's an organization focused on growing the ranked choice voting movement in all 50 states, and While there are no shortages of ways to reform elections in this country, ranked choice voting is by far the most practical and effective way to make elected officials accountable to the majority of voters, not just the parties. 2020 is going to be a decade of change, and I hope you'll choose to join me in making the change for the better. And now, back to the episode. it's become, how do I put this? <sighs> the, the ability for people to express their opinions has become much more restrained, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do, I, I do f- wrestle with that. I, I do feel well, whose that,
0: opinions are you, are you well, talking
1: about? I'm speaking specifically of, of those on the right, um, you know, in the aftermath in the Capitol, it, Became very difficult to, um, in the aftermath of the riot at the Capitol, it became very difficult. I think to, to, if you were somebody who didn't fully believe in the integrity of the elections, it became very difficult to have a discussion about that.
0: Yes, it clouded everything. And transparently, I had f- connections. Put it that way, people who I knew, people who I texted, who were in D.C. on that day, right. And they were not, and I'm not saying this simply because I'm on a, I'm on a podcast, they did they they not enter the Capitol. Um, and they, in fact, had no idea that people had even, had even broken through. By the time that people had broken through, you know, the police had showed up and people were getting dispersed. So he, he never made it that far. But I did have people who were on the ground, our connections were on the ground at the time. So I had that perspective as well. And again, in the lead up to it, the, the individual who I'm referring to, enthusiastic about going down there and and making a little bit of noise and i think that people need to you know again realize that um at least the way i see it is that you know um you know people go onto the streets to protest all the time um but it seemed at that particular time especially when they broke through the barricade um something you know I think the the way the media reported on the story and the way just it was framed, I think, was different from from past instances where maybe the other side had broken through. Um, and I think that's something else that needs to be that we need to be mindful of that, uh, the, you know, the facts of the case, especially now that we've had some time, like the way this is framed by politicians today in, in D.C. or by the media. This is like basically the worst thing since the civil war, I think, is an outright lie and manipulation. Um and, um, and I think that's the thing that concerns me is that we're unable to, 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 even, to, to even question that narrative and not to simply say I'm absolutely appalled and it's the worst thing that's ever happened and insurrectionists can take over the government at any moment. If, if you do not sort of stand by that statement, then you're automatically sort of you know, grouped in with, with the QAnons and that you must be obviously trying to topple the U.S. government.
1: Yeah. I guess, I guess what I'm struggling with is that, you know, let's just, let's take the, the courthouse in Portland where uh, Trump was going to send troops down there to dispel people who were, you know, throwing Molotov cocktails and other projectiles at law enforcement on the other side of a fence there. And, you know, that was a very violent, uh, you know, a, a very violent scene there. And, um, and, and so, so, yeah so so there's so and that and we can just use that to frame violence on the left, you know or to frame an instance of violence on the left. I guess that the the area where I struggle is that Trump at best didn't incite it, but he certainly he certainly showed the way to the door. let's put it that way. you know I I, I listened to that speech and and he certainly created, the 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 possibility for that happening and and I think what troubles me more is that I, I when I listen to members of congress on the right they're now trying to sort of couch this as if as if it wasn't what it was I mean you know people died. Law enforcement officers were assaulted. Um, Congress was evacuated. You know, Congress isn't evacuated unless there's, there's a clear security threat. Um, There were, you know, there was a dude who walked in with a Buffalo headdress and a spear, you know, I mean, it was just, it wasn't, you know, so, so how do you feel about all that? How do you feel about all that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, I feel that, first of all, the the deaths of police officers was, was widely overreported, at least initially. Do you know the actual true number of police officers who died directly as a result of the
1: rioting? I want to say one.
0: Right. And I think yeah. even that one, there are still some questions. But mm-hmm. what was for sure is that initially it was like, I mean, the numbers were were crazy. Five, mm-hmm. ten. I mean, I heard some crazy things. Um The lady who was shot, though, the Trumper who was shot in the Capitol, I don't think anybody knows who shot her. Um, That's still an open question. Um, Yeah, I mean, to me, I I feel like um, I think the biggest thing about this whole thing was it happened uh, at the Capitol. I find that the BLM summer killed way more people, destroyed way more property, was encouraged by many politicians. The difference is it wasn't bothering the swamp. And when you're burning down small... small businesses when you're sitting entire neighborhoods on fire um when and there was i followed what happened in the northwest quite a bit there was a part of capitol hill in seattle that was taken over completely by anarchists um people died there as well um you know what the black actually she's the black woman uh, uh uh she was a chief of police in seattle resigned all right. As a result of this, because the government was unwilling to enforce the rule of law. So I will take you know, I, I feel like uh, the, the the summer of BLM proved to be way more violent and was supported by quite a few people. And to this day, uh, the movement is still going strong. Um, and so it's hard for me to look at January 6th and, and see it as like this you know, w- you know, this awful event that is a market turning point American history. I don't see it. I think it's lesser than, than, than BLM. And I think it hurt more because the swamp this time got hit where it hurt. And, um, and the swamp doesn't like when, when you go after them, uh, burning down American cities, American towns, they don't care. It's far away from them anyways. It's not their money, but once you actually show up at their front door, then they have an issue. So for us, you know, on the MAGA side, you know, I, I think, the key difference here is that, yeah, you're right. When, when you go after the elites, who, should, after the end of the day, you know, this is a populist movement, as you and I discussed last time. And so, when you go after the center of power, um, and by the way, what we've noticed now is that there are dozens of people who are now arrested uh, in solitary confinement. Um, there's still a lot of questions about how much did the FBI and the CIA know, because for all, it sounds like they're lost not denying it that they had people inside those MAGA groups. And of course they would. Uh, you'd expect them to have people embedded in those groups. How much did they know? How much did they try to stop? We still don't know. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think to me, it comes down to what was hurt when it's, again, when it's the BLM summer and it's for quote unquote right cause, the burning and the killing will excuse it. But it, when it's in front of, you know, Nancy Pelosi's front door, then we take a completely different uh, perspective on it. Now, to be honest with you, I think both of them are a stain on American democracy, whether you're talking about the BLM summer or the Capitol riots. Um, I do believe in the rule of law, and I don't believe we should be storming the Capitol unless we actually want to revolt. It's a separate issue. So I want to be very clear on this point. I do not like I, I, you know, but I think if you're going to be against one, you got to be against the other.
1: Do you feel then that the, the Democratic Party or the, the, the folks on the left were as supportive or, or or were as forgiving of of BL of the BLM movement and of the, you know, and of what went on of 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 I should say the the you know the issues of of destruction of public property that, for example, that went on during that time. Do you feel they're as forgiving of that as folks on the right who describe, for example, the the riot at the Capitol as looking like a tour? Do you feel yes. there's a you, you think I,
0: absolutely. I think downplaying what happened on January 6th to be like it was like a non-event, I think that's too far. I think putting away the dollar amount and the facts of the case, the amount of people who got hurt, people who got killed, the amount of you know property damage, unquestionably, when you try to take over the US capital, that's a big fucking deal, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, like you can't. Oh, yeah. Now, now I, I, again, at the same time, like there was no way the American government was going to be toppled on January 6th. That wasn't even a possibility, right? Like that's not even not even an option. Most of the people who got on there were goofballs who mostly just wanted to like make some noise and, you know, and, and, and act completely ridiculous on TV. Um, they were not Bolsheviks who were going out there and going to murder and, and, and go to the end. This was not sort of the, the type of revolution that we're, that we're talking about. But I absolutely think that whenever you attack a symbol like the U.S. Capitol, um, and again, as someone like me who you know is a huge lover of of Abraham Lincoln and the rule of law, um, you you cannot abide by that, and you cannot make excuses for it. Absolutely not.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think too, it's it's fair to say when you go after the federal government, they are going to dump whatever <laughs> pain they can dump on you, you know, as much nope. as they possibly can. And I, nope. and I don't think anybody there new. I, I, I personally don't think anybody there was in their right mind. You know, I don't think anybody who actually is now, now has charges uh, against them. I don't think any of those people had any clue what was going to happen. Oh, I um, think
0: absolutely. I, I think, again, a lot of them were, were probably naive goofballs yeah. um, who probably are now realizing they made a giant mistake because the federal government is going through the book at them. Yeah. And what I the way I have changed a lot, Dan, to go back to the whole the question about the deep state and how the left saw it one way and, and now it seems like the right sees it. Like I, I do feel a lot more empathetic towards uh people who have been wronged by the, the federal government. Um and it's it made me kind of revisit all of American history because I had this sort of like, Yeah, the FBI is awesome. I want to be an FBI agent for a while. Like and, and, and now this sort of like not only the MAGA years, but now going back and again, looking at the, uh, some of the texts and the books written about the, the comportment of the FBI. Um, I know there's a big movie with DiCaprio and Scorsese that's going to be released, um, something with a flower moon. Um, i forgetting the term, but it's basically just the, what the FBI did to Native Americans uh, during the 1920s, I believe. Um, and some of the crimes there. So it's made me aware of an entire history because I've realized that I'm not going to have the federal government's back as a default, um, I guess. And yeah. I've become much more critical of it, whereas before I was like, if it's the military, awesome. If it's the FBI, awesome. If it's the CIA, great. The NSA, go at it. And I'm no longer that person. Um, and it's made me, again, fall in love with some pretty far left people from a different time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, yeah, man. I mean, do you see? It's like, it's, and and I do think too, there's, there, you know, I think two things and they're kind of two, two thoughts I've had rolling around in my head for a while, um, which is number one, no matter what kind of government and what kind of legal system you have, there's always going to be injustice in it. You know, there's always yeah. going to be some injustice and it's, it's, it's just the evolution of society. And the interesting thing about that is that that does mean that sometimes in order to bring about justice, you actually have to run contrary to the system. And so in a lot of ways, when you're in a position of enforcing the laws of the land, you are in a position of enforcing some amount of injustice, you know, just by, I mean, great example, people jailed for marijuana, right? I mean, right. it's more or less legal at this point. Um, it It's probably going to be decriminalized within the decade federally. Um, Were you surprised that Biden fired a bunch of
0: staffers that had smoked tweet in the past?
1: Yeah, you know... Is that weird? That I, was after, weird to me. After... <laughs> Trump. I'm very little, Very few things surprise me anymore. But yeah, I think like, yeah, I think I, I I think. And so think about it for a second. Right? If you were, if we've now decided as a society that it's okay to smoke pot, or at least we've we've decided to a greater degree, we agree, tolerate, yeah, we, we tolerate it. Now. We've decided to tolerate it. Then yeah. that means that there are a bunch of people who were thrown in jail for something that we now say wasn't an infraction. So how do you? You know, it's 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 just a funny concept to me of the fact that if we're going to have government, we are going to have some state-sponsored injustice. It's just going to exist. Totally, you know?
0: totally. And 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 I guess all I'm trying to say is that I have the mind vo- I guess the maybe the counterintuitive thing here yeah. is my sort of uh, belonging to the MAGA movement, to this populist movement. Um, I, it's made me reconsider certain things, and it's maybe not be like a default fan of certain of, of our three letter agencies mm-hmm. and to actually look at them more critically and not just take everything that they say as, as the truth Yeah, and everything you said is, is dead on. Obviously when you are in a position of power, when you can enforce the law injustice is inevitable, unquestionably, yeah. but I have tended to, I just I remember the Bush years. I was just like, Oh, like I was like, who cares about, you know, the, you know, our, our, you know, what am what I do to our, our personal liberties? Like mm-hmm. going after the bad guys is all that matters. And if it means like we go after the terrorists, so what? I'm willing to give up my personal freedoms. And I, again, I'm emerging out of that, those Bush years as a different person. And I'm, and I'm just a more critical person. And in many ways, I just feel like I've gained a greater understanding and I am less, I think, just more critical, I guess, of, of, of the federal government.
1: I would never consider myself left wing, you know. Um, can you hear that in the background by the way or no? I did. Yeah. Okay, hold on just a second. Sorry, my kids are playing laser tag or something. You know what? (laughs) It's gonna it's gonna show up in the episode, uh, because I I'm not gonna tell them not to play laser tag. Um, you know, you only got you only have so many years to do that. Exactly. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, I'd never consider myself far left, but I will say I've I now have my doubts about the effectiveness of the federal government with anything. After doing 100 episodes of this, because I'll tell you, like, everything from our federal highway system to our military budget, to our deficit spending in general, to our farm policy, like, all of it is just reflects the law of unintended consequences. You know, all of it, you know, none of like all of it has created these these spillover effects that, um we're not, you know, these, these, that we're bearing the, the burden for today. I mean, a great one is the, you know, the U S highway system. Um, it's, it's a horribly inefficient way to plan to, to do urban planning. Um, what urban planning? Well, yeah. Right. Right. Like it is, (laughs) it's, it's expensive. Um, it chains people to their cars, um, it, it, you know, it, it creates all sorts of problems with, you know, having to spend money on the system, having to spend money for the health costs, both mental and physical, um, unsustainable, you know, unsustainable infrastructure. I mean, there's like, like you name it, like it just, there are so many problems with it. And it's all the result of the centralized federal authority using its power to, you know, create a national system. And it seems like when we do that, that's where the problems occur, you know? Um, I, wanted, I wanna get, you know, I know we've got about 10 minutes here, and I, there's mm-hmm. there's something else I wanna dig into, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's something you said at the beginning where, you know, we're kind of watching two different movies, or in some cases, we're watching the same movie, and we've got two different opinions on it. Um, and, you know, when you look at any election, it's it's very clear that the number of people who prefer one side over the other isn't huge even if you look at you know biden and trump right? it's a five five percent difference in the popular vote according to the right accepted tally or six percent seven percent difference in the in the popular vote you know um it's Signific- it's probably the most significant, but, you know, most elections are determined by, you know, one or two percent total. Um, so and and when you take a look at the people who are actually diehard, you know, so the people who are like all in on Biden or all in on Trump. That number is even smaller. Right. You know, it's like I think about half of the electorate is, you know, all for a specific candidate and the other half is, you know, independent. Granted, they lean a certain way. So how do you do you have any ideas like how do you bridge the gap there you know if like you and i both have a fundamental disagreement about um you know the the uh, the election or you and i you and i can't agree for example on whether there's you know it, it, whether there is an equal whether the whether there's how do i put this if you and i can't agree on things like you know, like was the election, you know, what was, was this a decisive win for Biden or not? And if we can't agree on stuff, mm-hmm. like, you know, is there, uh, is there an, it, it, can you put the BLM movement and what happened to the Capitol on equal footing? You know, if, if we're, mm-hmm. if we're apart yeah. on those, is there, is there room, like, how do you bridge that gap? Or do you bother trying to bridge that gap? And do you just kind of go around it?
0: I think the first thing to do is that both parties must be able—and by parties, I don't mean political parties. I mean just mm-hmm. the parties, the, the you know, different sides of the uh, of, of the questions here that you that you've raised. Mm-hmm. If we disagree, at the very least, we should both be able to say so without fear of repri- reprisals. Yeah, and um, that is just not the case today.
1: Yeah, but
0: it's just—it's just not today. We live in a society where if you even suggest some of these things in the wrong meeting at work they can fire you they'll all they'll find a reason to fire you Mm -hmm. um that's another thing by the way that i've changed my mind on which is you know i used to be a big believer that um if you don't like something just sue the private company i just just sue just sue them and and this is the best way to kind of like solve the issues is just use the law and i just have a lot less (laughs) faith In our justice system today to admit Mm -hmm. this is like a credible uh, solution, but I think it it starts with that first. We must both be able to, you know, um, you know, I'm using a pseudonym for this show for a very good reason, because I work in an industry and I live in a particular area where if people found out what I actually believed, I could be in trouble. My family could be in trouble. My livelihood could be in trouble. Mm. Um, That is, one side is a lot more a victim of this than the other. Historically in America, that maybe hasn't always been the case, Mm -hmm. right? But today in 2021, that's the case, unquestionably. Mm. And the tech oligarchs are all supporting the other side as well. And so not only do you have a general political climate that makes it very difficult for people on the right to express themselves honestly, but on the other, you also have You know, the major tech oligarchs who control all the means of communication, who are now, as you saw the past week, working hand in hand with the Biden administration. And that is really, I mean, again, you should be concerned that these tech oligarchs who have billions of dollars in who control information are working hand in hand with the government. And people who think it's okay because the government in power happens to be one they agree with, that's a pretty shitty way of looking at it, in Mm. my honest opinion. Yeah. You know, it would concern me just as much. If Trump was the one whispering things to Mark Zuckerberg, and then he would kind of like create very censorship based based on that, I don't really care who it is. But the alliance of these tech companies and and and, and, and politicians is, is problematic. Be that as it may, again, I, I just want to answer your question honestly. You know, I, I think that we 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 should be allowed to disagree about those things, um, but we need to have the space to be able to do so, and it shouldn't be have to be anonymously or or using a pseudonym.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I think the, the, the two things that do trouble me um, are, is the power that, you know, I think private companies or publicly traded companies have over what's said, and now we got a creaky door. Don't worry about it, Ted. You know, is, is the power that, uh, you know, private companies have over what is and isn't said. I I don't miss Trump's Twitter feed. Um, I don't, Necessarily, I think that there is room for debate over whether disinformation about COVID, for example, should be spread and is in the public interest. I think, frankly, there's a legitimate debate to be had about what kind of speech online speech is because it's, you know, it's different than you and I exchanging ideas. You know, it's 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 different than than a discussion. I think online speech um, behaves differently. Due to the fact it's influenced by technology, so I think there's room for a debate there as to what what of kinds course. of you know. But on the there should t- be a
0: debate. Yeah. But, but, but the problem is we we cannot really have the debate.
1: Yeah. Well, and and that's kind of I think what 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 troubles me is that there are not the the rules do seem kind of you know it seems like they're winging it in terms of the rules, number one. And number two, I do legitimately have a problem with the fact that there are people, yourself included, who feel they can't express themselves for fear of, um, you know, for fear of reprisal, because I do think that, you know, American democracy requires disagreement, and it requires people who disagree to, at the very least, agree to disagree.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, and Hundred percent, and I'm I'm glad to 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 hear you say that. Like, and again, who knows? Twenty years from now, I may end up being wrong about everything, right? Mm-hmm. Or most things, you know. Maybe the 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 one six ride was worse than we than we thought. Maybe it turns out they were actually about to bomb it. Maybe the election was a wild success for Biden, in that all the fraud that happened was a bunch of was was a big nothing, and actually he won by a bigger margin. All those things could be true. Who knows, right? But what what's what's very concerning is that um, it's impossible to have that, that debate today, uh, at least to do it to do it safely. Um, and and I know, and again, I know there are millions of Americans who are on the left, moderate left, even some on the far left who are troubled by that. And I think that we need to we need your help, <laughs> Dan. We need your help to put some pressure and to make sure that at least don't cancel people just because they disagree with you, even about things that are hotly contested, because that's obviously the things that, you know, I love when people make the argument that like, well, you can disagree about things, but there are certain things we can't disagree about. And I'm like, that's the whole point of free speech is exactly when it starts to make you uncomfortable. That's the speech that's meant to be protected.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, Please share it with all your friends, neighbors, and enemies. Give it a kind review. And if you have not subscribed yet, this is your invitation to do so. Hit that subscribe button ever so gingerly, folks. It is not the roller derby. Now, a couple things really stood out to me about this conversation I had. Firstly, getting back to the conversation I had with Arjun earlier this month at The Factual, Pierre's view is a bit more nuanced than much of the MAGA crowd is given credit for by some of the more liberal elements of the mainstream media. And while I didn't agree with what he said, I did understand how a reasonable person could reach those conclusions, especially given how our media landscape has become as polarized as our political one. Now, secondly, and this is probably more important, he didn't feel safe freely expressing his views anymore. And you know, he's not saying that the Capitol riot was a false flag or using the term Jewish space laser. But he has made the decision. He can't express his reservations about what he perceived in irregularities in the election or his discomfort with destruction of property during the BLM protests that took place last summer without potentially threatening his livelihood. And the thing that bothers me here is that democracy is about people disagreeing, and open debate is essential to reaching that common truth. And by open debate, I'm not talking about posting whacked out shit on social media that is something i'll be covering more in depth next month but i'm talking about person-to-person conversations and the ability to have a civil dialogue with someone you disagree with and one of the main reasons i started this podcast was because i felt that we as americans had forgotten how to talk to each other and based on this conversation it looks like i'm probably going to be doing this for a while longer so buckle up everybody as always Music is courtesy of Quellertac. YDHTY's editorial advisor is the admirable Admiral Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is produced for a limited time only by the big Gino Jason Putney in North Carolina, United States of America. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Oh, Bye-bye.